0: Everyone, it's Monica Michelle with Invisible Not Broken. This is an interview I did with Dr. Lee Phillips, and it's going to be a monthly episode of everything about sex, relationships, disability, chronic illness. I just wanted to give a quick little trigger warning. We do talk about sexual assault, about um, oh, just about everything you can possibly imagine when we're discussing shame and sexuality and chronic illness. And this might be a trigger for some people. Just want to let you know that. This is what you're going to be listening to. You might want to make sure you have your headphones in or yeah, maybe clear the room with small people if you don't want to have these discussions right here and now. But I did just want to give a quick heads up and just let you guys know this will be a monthly part of our show. Dr. Phillips is uniquely um, qualified for this since he is a sex therapist who specializes in chronic illness. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed the interview. If you have questions for us, since this will be a monthly program, please just uh, send us an email. Um, comment below. We will read all the comments. I will not be answering them because I am not uniquely qualified to answer your questions, but I will be passing them on to Dr. Phillips and we will decide on which ones would probably be the most helpful to cover. So please feel free to comment. Super shareable episode, everyone. Please uh, send this out to anyone you've been wanting to start this conversation with and you just weren't sure how to do it. Um, I know it's really helped me out with some some things I was thinking of and how to start talking about them. The nicest thing you can still do for this podcast Podcast is to head on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, still the best place to do it. Um, Give us some stars, say some embarrassingly nice things about us, or hey, if you have constructive criticism, feel free. I do read all the comments, but remember, I am a person. I have three feelings left. Try to be nice to those. I'd appreciate it. Um, And gosh, thank you so much. You guys have been sharing this podcast everywhere. We're like number three on Apple Podcasts under the chronic illness section. I am blown away. And to have listeners through Africa and through China and all the way through Europe um, and South America, you guys are just amazing. Thank you so much for making this podcast so well-traveled. I hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Hey, everyone. This is Monica Michelle from Invisible Not Broken. I just wanted to throw a few trigger warnings out because... We did talk about some pretty intense stuff from sexual assault and shame to sex workers um, to also having a lot of discussion which Dr. Phillips has a world of experience with um, trans non-binary um, individuals so I just wanted to let everyone know this. there are some the things we talked about. We also discussed some mental health issues and as the title suggests you um, might not want to have this going when you have small ones around. This. Um, We really did get a lot into the weeds and a lot of discussion that was very open and frank and honest. I hope you really enjoy. If our language was offensive to you in some way, and you have um, reason to hope that we change our language in the future, please feel free to drop us a kind note. Dr. Phillips will now be joining us monthly to discuss different aspects of sexuality, relationships, and (laughs) chronic illness and disability. My cat is demanding my attention. My apologies. Um, So please, in the comments, leave questions for Dr. Phillips, and we're going to go through all the questions and see which ones we want to cover next month or the next few months. And uh, thanks so much. I hope you enjoy. And please share this episode. This is a really shareable episode with some great ways to to talk about um, what you want, what you need. Um, it's, it's a good shareable episode. I'm sorry. I'm pre-done for today. So have a wonderful week. Remember, be kind, be gentle, be a badass, and remember to leave shame where it belongs with those individuals who are actually actively trying to harm others. Do not shame yourself for what your body can and can't do. Just be really kind and gentle with yourself and others if you can manage it. Have a great week, everyone.
1: Hello. Hello. I'm so excited to get
0: to see you again.
1: I know. I finally know how to work site.
0: We are having so much fun with Skype, it's actually seeming to work and record. I'm so happy. <laughs> we tried this before. We yeah. had to rush over to Zoom, but we got a topic for today. I'm so happy you're joining us, like, every month now. <laughs> I am really grateful for that.
1: I am, too. This is great. No, it's so needed.
0: Um, it's, You have no idea, like, the blow-up after your episode release, and it's still, like, one of our most popular YouTube videos. Because oh. it hit, like, a serious nerve. And some people were not comfortable commenting on the page, but they were emailing me all the time about shame. So I thought that would be, like, a really yes. good topic for us to go through is shame and sexuality and sex and disability. And I'm sure, like, this is also a good one for health, like, uh, people who don't have chronic illness because I think shame has, like, been a real issue with sexuality. Um, so, really hey. has.
1: Really <laughs> has. Yeah, all the time. All the time. It always comes up in my office.
0: You know, <laughs> this, this, it's really true. We are a puritanical country here in the United States. As much as we like produce sex, we don't produce consensual sex. Like if you watch like any TV show or CSI that made like an entire TV show about non-consent, like it's always um about someone's gaze and it's always about someone not being super connected. Wow, we are still having Skype problems, aren't we? Are we still here? You're frozen. I think we're gonna have to start over on Zoom. So before Skype decided to crap out on us again, just proving that maybe we need to really explore Zoom as an option on this podcast, we were just kind of talking about that we both live in the United States and shame and sex seem very wrapped together. And then when you add a disability and the vulnerability gets very pink, shivery underbelly very quickly. So how do you, Absolutely. what do you see as a problem with like shame and sex, like just in your offices, you are practicing sex therapist, um, with a focus on chronic illness and disability. So I should shut up and let the expert talk now.
1: Well, you know, it comes up all the time. It's one of the most common themes and it's going to be a common theme in my, in my book, you know, chapter four is on shame. And it's if, on give shame. So the title of my book is called Sex and Love When You're Sick. It should be out in 2020 or 2021. Um, The book proposal is almost finished, which I'm really excited about. And it should be going to at least about 10 literary agents in New York. it's to a talk-, talk. What I love, what I love about, about this book is like that it's, it's, it's being talked, talked about so much, much and it's, it's not even done.
0: <laughs> you know, you're really smart. I've been writing the same novel for like three years and I don't talk about it to anyone. I should probably be doing a lot more like pre-push for the novel.
1: <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I'm doing right now is, you know, I'm doing my pre-promotional plan for it. And it's going really well. Um, you know, just getting the word out there. I've got some speaking engagements coming up. I'm really excited. I'm going to be speaking on sex and disability and chronic illness at the 2019 National Sexual Health Conference. I'm so proud of you.
0: Congratulations. So um, the quick word to this before we go back to sex and disability is go over to his website. I will have it like right in the very top. Check it out. Go help out. Do it again. But what what do you see the most of with like Shame and Uh, and sex. I feel like we have this weird thing going on in the United States where it's like, oh, no, we're totally cool with sex. Just watch our media. And it's like, yeah, that's not really what I would call like consensual, enthusiastic consent sex that we are getting thrown all the time. So it feels like it's still like making money and focus on feeling shame.
1: It is. It does still do that. And, you know, you know, shame is this painful feeling arising from the consciousness, right, of something dishonorable. It can be improper. Uh, ridiculous, etc done by one self or another. So, but what happens is that a lot of times when people come into my office and they have shame around sexuality, it's really based from their childhood. Mm. It's, messages. it's messages that they get from their family. It's messages that they get from their teachers. You know, when I was growing up in school, way back in the day, I was always, <laughs> <put> that sex.
0: <laughs> Are we going to bring the dinosaurs okay. in on?
1: Way back in the 80s, I was told that sex was dirty. And when I was told sex was dirty, it only made me more curious about it. <laughs> I wanted to know more about it. So I was getting my hands on everything I could with sex. And it was basically, mainly, you know, looking at pornography and Googling. Well, you couldn't Google back then, but you could like just look at different literature on it. And But I grew up in a home that was very progressive, is very liberal but I have so many clients that come into psychotherapy that grew up in very conservative Christian evangelical households. And you did not have sex until you got married. And if you did have sex, it was because it was a blessing from God. And to-
0: I'm sorry I'm just dying right now but I mean, like no like seriously any whatever you believe out there listening I mean cheers mazel top. as long as you're not stepping on anyone else's existence or right to their existence or the right to their humanity I just need to like, I'm just cracking it because I grew up with very progressive parents until I hit puberty and then it was like this 180 switch from like sex is a natural, beautiful part of life. You will like, hopefully you will deeply enjoy everything. Wonderful. And then I hit puberty and it was like, you will never have sex ever. Like just letting you know that is not, an, the literal like quotation marks is this is not an option for you. <laughs> it's like, okay. That's, that's a lot of mix here.
1: <laughs> yes. That's another big thing that comes up, you know, it's we're going through that whole adolescence phase. It's when you start hitting puberty, the family's like, wait a minute. Yeah. You, can't this, can't do, you can't do that. You can't wear this makeup. And it's harder on women. It's harder on girls growing up. You so know? I
0: just want to do like a quick thing because yeah. Soraya has so educated me and um, our other trans um, pe- people have been listening. and have been educating me on like the, so I would say like visible, I, I'm going to get the, the content just, wrong, but if you're presenting as yeah, like traditional yeah. female, there is so much more fear, guilt, right. and shame that gets like, piled yeah. on feminine looking shoulders. Is that good enough, Soraya? Text me if I fuck that up. That—that um, <laughs> That is what I'm trying to say. I think what you're saying is that if you're presenting female, holy fuck, it's a whole nother world. But I would also, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I have zero experience in this except just raising a son, is that boys get really fucked over as well in the, you want to be part of the hit it culture, and not about finding what creates enthusiastic consent, including in yourself. And there's all this pressure to, to grow up and be ready for something that might not be in your wheelhouse just yet. And there's a real problem with like this push towards um, anyone who's presenting as masculine towards, towards saying it's this very weird, like idea of this, this one chromosome will completely define our sexualities and our need or want or readiness for it.
1: No, you're absolutely right. It happens with men, too. It happens with a lot of men. I have a lot of men that come into cisgender men that come into my office and they talk about it. And you're right. It happens with all different types of people, cisgender women. Um, you know, I have a lot of non-binary uh, gender queer people that I see in therapy, and they talk about the shame that they grew up because they didn't identify male or female. And that was really hard growing up. Or a transgender individual that comes in and has to deal with that and the way that they were shamed. So a lot of it is internalized. It comes onto you at a young age. You internalize it growing up because we get these messages on how life should be, but then when we hit a certain point in our lives, we're like, no, I don't like that. I want to do this. I want to get curious about this. So when you have a disability or a chronic illness that comes with that, then it's like this re-trauma that happens with shame you become the shame comes again and there's another added layer to it and so in therapy and in sex therapy we process that and try to break that down it's like peeling back an onion so we do that with the shame because most people that come in with chronic illness there is this big shame factor and then they come in they say guilt but there's a big difference between guilt and shame And I want to talk a little bit about that, too. Guilt is a feeling of responsibility or remorse for some offense, crime, wrong, whether real or imagined. But with shame, it is that painful feeling arising that you have done something wrong or another. So those are the big two differences that come up. But we really have to process shame because it's a big factor that comes with a chronic illness a lot of times before someone can accept A chronic illness so that they have this and it's a part of them and it's really difficult it's it's hard to do that and that's why psychotherapy particularly sex therapy it's a process and it's a journey that you take and when you can come into a safe holding space and really process your shame around your illness around your sexuality gosh the whole goal is to fucking leave this office and go you know what I felt good about talking about that that was needed
0: And it's so hard to get people to talk about it. Like, I mean, it's it's such a taboo. And if you're going to talk about something other than you know being a snarky bitch, hello. um, Or if you're like seriously, no, if you're actually going to like talk about really in depth, deep things about sex, it's really hard, even amongst very close friends, or even amongst you know long term partnerships. It it's a very especially when um, chronic illness or disability changed the rules on sex. Or an event changed the rules on sex, like there's, or you're discovering more about yourself and what you want has changed the rules between partners, or you know more than. Um, How do you navigate that? When how do you even start the conversation?
1: Well, one of the things that I do when my clients come in is that you always want to make them feel comfortable. That's the first thing because you want to join a therapeutic partnership with them in a relationship, and that's the most critical piece. They're already coming in feeling so weak, feeling broken, feeling, you know, invisible because there's this invisible illness that they have. And they're so used to people telling them, oh, you don't look sick. You look fine. Oh, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You can keep going. You don't feel well today. You may feel better tomorrow. But we know with chronic illness, that does not happen. There's so much uncertainty with it. You know, you wake up one day, you feel great. You wake up the next day, you can't get out of bed. So when they come in here, I introduce myself of course and let them know my expertise and what I do and most of the time when people come in they've already like stalked me before they come in.
0: <laughs> the cyber <laughs> world has made that very
1: easy. Yes. so they're like okay I know what you do I've looked at your website I've looked at your profile I've looked at your blogs and they know something about me.
0: God as long so- as it's not I saw you <laughs> in your apartment and like as long as we can like stop there like- well, it's
1: just cyber stalking. It's all good. Just oh, yeah. A lot of people cyber levels. stalking. Yeah. You no. Know, but what's great is that I let them know. The one thing that I let them know that I think really helps, because they're already coming in with so much shame around their illness and sexuality, is that I never have an agenda when they come in. Mm. If you come in and you just sit with it, you sit with it. And then you start the process. And I really let my clients start where they want to start. I never, a big piece of what I do is an educational component. There's a lot of psychoeducation that comes with linking chronic illness and mental health together, you know, because when you have physical symptoms, you have a psychological response to those symptoms. And that's where the depression comes in. That's where the anxiety comes in. And that's where the shame builds up anymore. that's where it builds up more, because you're saying, what have I done to myself? Like. Why is my body doing this? And then there's this internalization that happens. And so piece of the work that we do in therapy is that cognitive therapy. It's looking at the thought process. But before we can even get there, you really have to build a therapeutic relationship with your therapist because a lot of people that have pain, that have sexuality issues, they already feel judged and they're thinking they're going to be judged when they come into a therapist's office.
0: I so hear that, and I just want everyone around the globe who is listening to take a quick promise that you will never use the word bootstrapping with the chronically ill patient, and you will never, ever, ever. Um... Oh, goodness, I lost the train of thought in the middle of the never evers. I've got to stop being so emphatic. <laughs> that was awful. Like right in the middle. Oh, I got it. Um, New age circles. I, I'm friends with some people who are in some very new age sort of circles, which is. Um... Read its own sort of cruelty in this. Where I have a friend who was um, not feeling great, and we're told that if they just had a more positive attitude. Or your negative thoughts towards your body created your body to react in this way. Please don't ever do that. Stop it. Everyone, whoever, and apologize immediately if you did that. It's okay. Move on. We all make mistakes. We all grow. But don't ever do that again. It's not anyone's fault for getting sick. Stop it.
1: So That's the one thing that I do in my office. I do exactly opposite of what you just said.
0: Ah, that's that always it, a good thing. That's what my kids yep. do. They hear yep. me speak the yep. exact opposite yep. right now.
1: Right. It's not your fault while you have this. You know, there's going to be times where you're not going to be able to get out of bed. And if you lay in bed all day, it's actually okay. It comes with the illness. If you can't move, you can't move. It's all right. So one of the things and that goes with acceptance, right? It's letting your thoughts come in. It's letting your emotions come in centered around your illness and let it wash out. Let it come in, because when you fight it sometimes, that's when you really can you can like signal off your pain signals even more. If you're more anxious and depressed, you're hitting them even more. So if you relax and you let the feelings come in and you can let that, that wash away and relax, hey, maybe later you can do something. So I feel like a lot of times people that have chronic illness and this is not easy to say, they st- they feel like sometimes they're still trying to be in their their previous body. Oh God, yes. And I think it's great be, and you want to have that, but what we find is that with a chronic illness and with the pain that comes with it, your body does not allow you to do it. And so there comes this adjustment piece, and that comes in with shame, too. So after I've seen a client for a good while, we start to see the shame break down a little bit. It breaks down, and then they can get to a place where, hey, I can, be, I can have a disability and be sexy. I can have a life with my illness. I just have to approach things differently. I can still have sex. I can still love myself. That's a really hard place to get to sometimes. But when it does happen, it's absolutely beautiful. And that's really what I want this message to be about today, is that yes, you've got shame around your sexuality. And that may be from the messages that you had as a child, it may be from your peers, it may be from your teachers, but you can own your own sexuality. You know, your own sexuality is your sexuality, it's no one else's, and that's something really important to hold on to. And if you have to go to a therapist's office to process that, then yeah. Or you can listen on here once a month. (laughs)
0: it i do not have the money to go to therapy this podcast is my therapy like that's <laughs> there's no altruism here i am not rich enough to go to therapy in the united states so hello <laughs> that's how this works um you were talking about uh shame that's given over by um teachers and uh, and it's really interesting because my parents worked so hard like they were hippies like my father was in a commune in the 70s like it's it's very like i am so lucky my name is not like Something off the hook, crazy, like I really left out on like someone someone talked some sense in, but they tried really hard to make sure I had a positive view of sexuality still things happened when I was younger that were really awful, and a teacher and I remember this so clearly in a classroom was talking about this culture where the women would kill themselves if they were raped, and having like no idea that there was at least one student there who'd already experienced that and like talk about a world of shame that just heaps onto you. Where it's like, okay, no control over what happened. (laughs) And then this whole idea of like, okay, so I'm not allowed to have sex consensually. Because that is like the big no, you are not a good girl. If you do that consensually, if you want this, this is a bad thing for you. No wonder this happened to you, but it can be taken from you. And that's not dishonorable. It solves as as you kill yourself. Like the messages were so convoluted. Yeah, so I guess we're going like in a chasing my tail sort of way, like I usually do, <laughs> is um, processing like all the levels. Because when you have chronic illness, it's not usually like, there's just this one thing in your life there can be rape there can be sexual assault um by the way trigger warnings will be posted at the beginning of the podcast i promise uh however but you can be dealing with mental health issues and
1: oh there's so many yeah well that's your classic comorbidity that comes with everything (laughs) because you know a lot of times when people come in people know that i'm a chronic illness psychotherapist and a sex therapist what i find interesting is that sometimes people come in here because it's not even about their chronic illness They know that I understand chronic illness, but they may come in here because there was trauma Mm -hmm. and it started to fester up. They may come in here because they have stress at work, whether they don't like their co-workers, their colleagues or their supervisor. They may come in here because their partner is just engaged in infidelity or they're coming here because they have sexual dysfunction due to their pain. So a lot of times they're coming in because. There is this like area of mostly depression and anxiety that is manifest, and they need to come in, and they need to get some skills for that. So that's the other big piece that I really see a lot. And if it's a partnership that comes in like a couple, what I find is that the chronic illness has caused a rupture in the partnership because the person that is ill has a lot of shame about it. They feel overwhelmed. And so does the partner, the healthy partner. So there's this ping pong effect that's going on with the two of them. And they start doing this dance that goes into conflict, that goes into fear, that goes into, you know, there can be verbal altercations that happen about it, whether it's about sex or they just can't do the things they did in the past. So what I do is is I have them reconnect with each other. And if I'm working with someone that is single, I work with them on just reconnecting with life what can they do now with their illness because they know it's a part of them and they know they have to try to live with it well as best as they can and i think the power of therapy is just really listening if you can listen well with someone and really be in touch with them and empathize with them and validate man they're going to keep coming back because they're feeling heard because when you have shame and you have illness what happens you don't you don't feel heard because you don't know You don't know who to talk to about it, right? Can I talk to my partner about Mm. this? Can I talk to my family about this? My family doesn't understand pain. They don't understand shame. So who do I process this with? And that's why it's important to find a therapist that's really going to fit with your needs.
0: And you hit on something so, like, Right in the middle of my own marriage and poor husband he, he knew when he married me that there was no secrets like I have no filter from brain to mouth. it goes like maybe two seconds so I' like maybe you shouldn't say oh sorry said never mind um, so one of the things that we're dealing with right now is that he was never really taught how to have good close friendships with other people and so we are so close and he is like one of my favorite humans on the face of the earth but He doesn't have anyone else to unload. I have a disabled wife who's getting worse every few months. And so that really worries me about how we've trained um, anyone presenting as masculine We we train them to not have super close, and like my female friends and I are so tight, like we can say anything to each other and we curl up around the person who is the most wounded and we support them through whatever it is they're going through, no questions asked. I don't know anyone who presents as male who has that kind of, of support network. And for someone who is actually caregiving, I can't imagine anything more important than to be able to go to someone and go, I am fucking done. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Like, I, He just has no outlet for that. And that scares me.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, it is, it, it is scary. And that does happen quite a bit with... Um, with caregivers that have a spouse or a loved one that does have a chronic illness. That's actually going to be in Chapter 6 of the book. That title is called Healing, where I talk about the emotional bonding that has to happen with both partners um, when one has a chronic illness and the other one is healthy, and then how do we restore our reciprocity in the partnership with each other. So, one of the sources of stress in a partnership affected by chronic illness, regardless of the type of illness, is the lack of reciprocity between the chronically ill partner and their healthy partner. So the healthy partner may experience dramatic changes in the nature of the partnership as the illness progresses. So when it's affecting you, your partner, it's also affecting them in many, in, in several different ways. So the personal attraction that maintains the relationship disappears as the ill partner sometimes becomes less responsive to the healthy partner due to the trauma associated with the illness. So that's another big piece. You know, one partner that is ill is dealing with it. They become less responsive. They may shut down. They make stonewall. And then the other partner does the same thing. So it's being able to come into a place where you can talk about that. And that's why people love doing couples therapy, because they can have a third party there and they can actually watch them communicate. (laughs) Referee, referee. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it takes so much. Much pressure. I mean, and I think what's really hard is when, say, you go into a partnership and you know you've been together for so many years, then all of a sudden there is an illness that comes on, and it's absolutely earth shattering, and your whole life changes. And to me, that is that is a trauma, that is a trauma in the relationship, and it's definitely a trauma to both partners. And when I'm working with people who are single, that want a date, that scares them. And here I am, I've already got an illness and I go into a partnership. Are they going to be able to accept me? Are they going to be able to be with me as I have to go to my medical appointments? Will they be able to care for me? Will I be able to care for them? So everyone that's listening that is single, I think it's important to just note that you are on your own journey when it comes to dating. You are on your own journey when it comes to sex. If you're in a place where you've accepted your illness and you're learning to live well with it and dating is something that you want, man, put yourself out there because that can actually be a confidence booster. And then you come in, if you have a therapist, process that. You know, um, There's a lot of ways that, and I know we talked about this last time, that there's so many ways how people are meeting each other. Technology is amazing. There's the apps. There's, you can put on there what you're into, what are your dislikes, you know, what are your likes? What are your wants? You know, who are you as a person? What do you do for a living? There's so many um, ways that people are dating these days. And sometimes I get the question of Dr. Phillips, do I let my date the person that I'm dating know about my illness right away? Or do I let them know later after Mm -hmm. I've built some type of, chemistry with them. And that's really up to you. Uh, Most people report they love sharing it right away so they can get the person's reaction and and they don't get too serious with the person and then say it. And then there's this huge disappointment that happens.
0: You know, I, I can't speak for anyone else's experience. I can only say like I have zero ability to keep my own secrets, so it was it was actually the best way to date. I had a um, I was also a single mom, <laughs> so talk about a winner! I mean, like just like the ultimate like person you were looking for on the internet: single mom, graduate student, and disabled. Woohoo! Um, it did weed everything out. Like I have to say, I had an easier time dating than any of my other friends, and I have like gorgeous, stunning, brilliant, hilarious friends. Who were having horrible times dating, and it was awful for them. But anyone who was there was absolutely there, eyes wide open, and, and knew what they were getting into. So it was so much easier to date. I might just be really lucky with that, but it was. It did make things less complicated. So we're you were talking about shame and body, and I wanted to bring in another component because. I will be very upfront. I am very, I was born in the body that I identify with. I forget what that's called, but that's, you know, that, that was just, Cisgender. I, thank you. Cisgender. Sis, okay. Perfect. Cisgender. Sorry. Mm-hmm. i be nice when you text me. Um, but I, um, I grew up in a time where the 17 magazines would have the back page with the model's height and weight where they'd be like, five foot seven, 120 pounds, and I'd be like looking down at my five foot three body going, oh, I must be obese, as a ballerina too, just to really fuck up my head. And we, I grew up and lived in a culture where women would chop their chests open, put in things, would go through very painful surgeries to look a certain way, would starve themselves. If you had a hair out of place, if there was a hair growing somewhere that is acceptable on, on one body, it is not acceptable on your body, so it's repellent for you to leave in certain ways. So the shame around the body was even to like, I didn't shave under my arms and I wanna to go to the gym, now I can't go to the gym because I have underarm hair, which there was no one there who had a certain chromosome who felt shame leaving the house. So it's just, um, I already had so much shame wrapped up around just the basic being cis female, like then adding on, now my body looks like a weird marionette, where like, I have like, it, it is the, so anyone who's just tuning in for this episode for the first time, hi, welcome. We are this crazy. Secondly, um, I have LH Danlos, so I dislocate by moving. So if you go over to my social media, you will see the grossest pictures of like, feet that look like dead Smurfs with like, bones sticking out. So I walk around in like a Halloween costume, sort of Jabberwocky-ish, and you, you add that on, and it's like, I go through my days where I feel tremendously freed by that. Like fuck you all with your beauty standards i got out of bed thank you very much and then i go to the other side where i caught my rabbit hamster that just goes in a wheel and like just gnaws on something like really mean about myself and then it says how did you let yourself go like this Like, and it's hey, um, what
1: happens. you go back and forth with that all uh,
0: the fucking time <laughs> please feel sorry for all of the people who talk to me on a daily basis because like <laughs> that rabbit hamster goes nuts. yeah
1: the rabbit hamster wheel. You know, I talk about it in therapy with my clients. Oh, I please call tell it, me uh, called a
0: rabbit hamster wheel because that would make my You
1: day. know what I well I call it's it's kinda of funny, Monica. I call DC the platinum hamster wheel. Oh, because, oh,
0: yes, you are in a fancy area. I'm so sorry from the summer.
1: It's, it's everyone's just on autopilot here on the East Coast. It's mm. like, oh my gosh, like I get I get overwhelmed. So That's why I moved from yeah. Silicon
0: Valley. I could not deal with that. Like it, I'm,
1: I'm afraid world. to go to California. I'm afraid to go to California because I'm afraid I'm not going to want to come back.
0: Well, we don't have snow. <laughs> uh, well, we did. We did. Last week, we actually had some snow. It was really exciting. We all freaked the fuck out. It was like, oh, my God. It's
1: it's on the ground. It's staying. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, body is a big piece of it, you know, when it comes to shame and, and what it does. Because if you already grow up and you're having this body shame about yourself and, you know, a lot of people that are trans have gender dysphoria. Mm. So having gender dysphoria and then a chronic illness on top of that is, is very hard. And I see quite a few trans people that have had gender dysphoria and having um, fibromyalgia, having multiple sclerosis, having POTS, having some type of illness and having to deal with that is very difficult so when they are able to make some type of transition whether that's with hormones or they do top surgery or it's so liberating for them even though they have the illness they're able to finally live in a body that they are comfortable with and one that they love because sometimes when i think about that i'm like can you just imagine being born with a part that you're just not you don't identify with it you're not um you feel so much shame about that. And just the depression and the anxiety that comes with that. And so as a sex therapist, you know, and as a, someone who um, works a lot with gender identity and just gender affirming care, you know, we, we hit on all those spots. And that gives them a place to come in and just be um, in a safe place. I loved your episode that you had with the individual. It was the non-binary um episode that you had a couple weeks ago We had ago.
0: two two amazing yes.
1: wonderful people who yes. and I, I really love it
0: because I think that there's a real issue with people admitting when they're wrong. And I have a, it's okay I I personally believe it's okay to be wrong. That's fine. But when someone educates you it's okay to go, hey, I was, you know, in the past, I, I didn't say the right things. I didn't understand it. And I didn't. I did not understand trans non-binary. I never had any dislike. I never had any prejudice. I just didn't know what that was like, what it meant. I didn't, I didn't have the understanding. And these two wonderful individuals called me out in this like, went, kind of nicely. But right once I started talking, um, was so great. But my viewpoint has changed so much. I just didn't understand because I don't count myself as particularly feminine. I live in sweats, I don't do makeup most of the time, <laughs> I live in my my um, my Birkenstocks. I was like, well, I don't understand what, the, what, what does it mean to be feminine or masculine, what is the big deal? And what you just said about body parts and dysphoria and someone broke it down for me, like, hey, it, what if everything you started to touch that you were attracted to, someone said, no, that's for that other group. What if every name you were called wasn't your name? What if there's this body part that you're looking at going, this isn't mine? That's and I was, That was like this light click moment. So I think it's important to say, like even if you don't understand trans non-binary, you can like you, know, you can you can understand it just well, talk to people listen read books if they do not feel like being ambassadors for what they are dealing with um that's there's okay too they they are not your yeah. ambassador yeah. but read books yeah. watch shows there's like a lot of
1: um, there's a lot of self education you know even as a sex therapist you know i'll <laughs> i'll have clients that come in here and they'll tell me they'll say a term and i'm like um can you tell me what that is for you i need mean, google <laughs> Google. So Google Google is your friend, but there's a lot of great literature out there and a lot of great um, followers. You know, I, I kind of feel like Facebook is dying and Instagram is taking over.
0: Well, <laughs> Facebook did not spend that much money to acquire Instagram without a reason. No, like...
1: oh, I know. And so there's a great uh, group of followers that there's different um, people that you can follow that are non-binary, that are trans, that can definitely give you um, some education, but, you know, but no, I, we, I think it's important to talk about non-binary and trans because that's a big part of what happens with shame and sexuality, you know, but it also happens with people who are gay, heterosexual, who are cisgender. It happens there too. So we know that chronic illness does not discriminate. And so that's why it's important to be able to talk about your shame. But going back to what you were saying, I mean, it really, is so hard just to start. That conversation. And when you live in a rural area, it's like, gosh, who do I talk to? Because you could walk into a therapist's office and they don't even know what non binary means or trans. And it makes it extremely difficult. And that's why I do love technology because, you know, what we're doing right now is touching so many people just by us talking about this because there's people listening in that, um, you know, had never been able to talk about this with anyone. No,
0: we have this listening audience that's getting really big in Africa, in like central Africa, coastal Africa, China. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you guys are okay listening to us. Uh, Russia. I mean, it's crazy like how this podcast has grown and I'm so grateful. Um, but please, when we're giving advice for non-binary, trans, gay, bisexual, Um, issues, please use your common sense about your surroundings, especially, you know, even here in the United States, please be safe, please be careful, really take good care of yourselves, be gentle with yourselves. Um, but whatever advice we're giving, we both live in metropolitan areas, so we- we really don't understand what it would be like, or at least I don't understand what it would be like to be trans in Kansas or in South Carolina or in China or in like you guys know way more than we do about your surroundings and what you're safe doing. So please, common sense, we you matter, we care. Please stay alive. Okay, that was my PSA for the day. <laughs> um, but it's I think you know Saraya was so wonderful in um, the interview that that was given about experiences even in a doctor's office with like being questioned about gender from across a room. That person yes. knew that that was yeah. going to oh. make Soraya uncomfortable, if not in, in danger. And I just, I've never wanted to hug someone so bad in my life. I adore, like, if you can't tell how much I'm talking about Soraya, it's because I really adore Soraya. Like, it just I felt so mommy, like, protective. Like, Can I please hug you? Can I keep you safe? Um, mm-hmm. But you're right. Like, when you're talking about gender and sexuality, and then you might not have anyone like you around to talk to. And our other co-host, Eva, who is now doing our... Um, interviews with wellness experts. Her big thing is that she's trying to get telemedicine going, so that someone like you could talk to someone in Africa, China, and Russia, and South Carolina, and Kansas. I'm not picking on you, South Carolina. I swear, you're just in the news right now, and you're on my mind. Um, but <laughs>
1: like you the south.
0: Yeah, just I'm so sorry. You're on Twitter at the moment, so. <laughs> <laughs> just saying call your representatives now now now. Uh, um, anyway uh but like telemedicine actually allows for someone who like you would already know this person someone who will understand care and not be judgmental I think that that's really where our medicine needs to get to at least for things like therapy and stuff like that
1: <laughs> it does it really does because people just don't have the resources so when you're able to share that knowledge and get the word out there I think that's what's great and you know We are seeing more telemedicine, and we're seeing people offer it just for pro bono, even that. And we're also seeing um, a lot of people are just paying out of pocket for it at a reduced fee because insurance companies don't cover it.
0: Oh, what? I'm sorry. What? We're in the United States, and our insurance companies don't? (laughs) Give me a moment. Guess. (laughs) (laughs) I just have my my insurance. Just a side note. I have ehlers stables. I dislocate five times a day. My insurance just said that I shouldn't be going to physical therapy. Yeah, I have to pay a pocket for that now. I was like, oh, this is great. Great. Yeah, so getting like even more than one or two visits for a actual therapist. And by the way, I just want to do a quick little thing here because someone from Canada love y'all, but seem to think that it was much better waiting periods here in the United States because we don't have socialized. It's not. Your 18 months to see a geneticist was actually half the amount of time I waited to see my geneticist. I had to wait three years. So I just want to say like you with socialized medicine, I know it's not perfect, but please be really clear when you look at the United States that we don't have shorter waiting times unless you are part of a group where you're paying a Special fee to see doctors or you're in a metropolitan area where there's a lot of doctors and I even live in one And I still have to wait forever. So just saying, you know Like let's be really clear about facts before we start throwing around whether we like
1: socialized medicine or
0: not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're seeing that issue too with your therapy that people are coming in and they're having to pay out-of-pocket because
1: Yeah, well and one of the things that here in the Washington DC area is that there are a lot of psychotherapists But a lot of them don't take insurance
0: mm, Yeah
1: They don't take insurance because a lot of times they don't want to deal with the overhead of it. And, you know, there are people, to be honest, in Washington, D.C., that make money and they can afford it. But there are folks out there who really want to use their insurance. And what's great about our practice, which is called Capitol Hill Consortium for Counseling and Consultation, we take insurance and we take all insurances so people can come in. One of the big things that we love to do here at this practice is serve the community. And that's been a big blessing. And people have been able to come in that have different mental health issues of concern, sexual issues, chronic pain, chronic illness. It's so cool. I just found out that in my DC office there is a doctor one suite below me that is a rheumatologist.
0: Oh yay. No, I don't like them, sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, hopefully she can refer some people to me for psychotherapy. Awesome. Yes, I love
0: it side i just thought hey rheumatologist joins my people and the ladies looked me up and down why are you here there's nothing i can do for you please leave (laughs) are you gonna refund my copay (laughs) right
1: right. so
0: when we're talking about like shame and sexuality and um i was also thinking towards like (sighs) because there's been so much about sex workers in the news lately and like um coming to different stages of like just even reading the comments of people who have never been sex workers, have never been around sex workers on like this idea of sex positivity versus what is going on here versus all these other things and I'm thinking that there's a lot of people who are not getting a voice who actually know what's going on and know what they're talking about and are not getting the help they need either to be overjoyed with their job or not overjoyed with their job. I'm certainly not a person to judge anything on this but I'm just saying like I feel like there's a huge population People who are and I feel like there's a a real issue and I'm just gonna like try to get to the point as quickly as I can I'm so sorry everyone. I am I Almost canceled today. So (laughs) forgive me Um, But I feel like there's this idea like that um, sex is owed to a certain population and that it's um, You know, like I was reading about like how in some of the Norwegian countries that um, disabled people can get money for a prostitute to come in. And I'm like, this is really getting tangled as far as like what's owed, what's not owed, what's a must for recovery. And I, at first I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. You have know, someone's like consenting to prostitution. And then I was like, and then someone's like, no, cause this is <laughs> hang on and brought this whole other point of if we're talking about human connection, then there should be money for like a companion to take them
1: out oh, to sit awful. and talk. It's- yeah, yeah, this, this, this topic kind of burns me up a little bit. Oh, good,
0: please, because I am not educated. Please, I, on, like, all I well, know is, like, what well, I've like, read and feel. I don't have well, a Yeah,
1: anything. yeah. <laughs> well, there was this passing with the, and I and forgive me, because, guys, I cannot remember what it stands for, but the SESTA-FOSTA that was um, written, it stands for something, and basically it banned uh, Backpage and Craigslist. Yes. So, oh, yeah, yes. I remember that. So, Sex workers were able to post their services, and since that has come into effect under the Trump administration, now sex workers are forced to actually go back out on the streets and live a dangerous life and have pimps again, and that's put them at risk. But sex work is a business, it is a career, and sex workers really do serve folks that do have disabilities, to spend quality time with them, to share things with them. To just give them some attention in terms of just like just emotional attention, just to be with someone, to have that human connection. And now in the United States, that's been, you know, definitely more difficult to do, to be able to do that. I thought I saw in Scotland that there was actually like a sex workers union. I thought that was pretty cool. I think it's Uh,
0: interesting. I've known sex workers. I've actually, some of my best friends. Um, But so I have a very complicated view and relationship with it all. But I I also don't feel like it's, it is my place to have an opinion. I feel like it's definitely the people involved who know better than I do about what's going on. But I just want to bring that up because I feel like, you know, when we're talking about communities like trans non-binary who are having trouble getting help, having trouble being afraid to go to get, Emotional help and emotional help around sexuality. I feel like that's a a huge population that probably needs a lot more attention care and and focus and um, Yeah,
1: there's even Tantra workers that can't even work now because of this law that got passed So
0: I have friends who are massage therapists who are legit massage therapists like zero happy endings here who are like having a nightmare of a time with like all of the regulations and rules around their massage therapy practices
1: Oh, I know. I mean, you can't really do anything. It's, it's really sad. I have a friend. She's a spanking therapist. She's okay, fabulous. That's a
0: new one for me. <laughs>
1: yeah, she's a spanking therapist, and she can't promote her services, you know, because people find joy just coming in and sitting with her and being spanked, you know? It's, a, it, it's great, and she has all types of clients that come in, and now because of this law that was passed, she can't advertise her services, so I get the whole sex trafficking thing, and I can see where they're trying to, you know, watch that, do something about that. But there's people out there who really do use, you know, sex as a way of working, <laughs> and it's a business.
0: I, like I said, I mean, like, please feel if you are like sitting here listening to us turning red with rage and shaking. Um, if you want to send a respectful note, <laughs> I will absolutely read it. <laughs> and um, like I said about like all issues, I keep a really open mind about everything to just like research actual people's stories about what's going on in their world. Feel free to contact me. Like we are we are talking just from personal experiences and what we've known and what we've seen. Um you probably have a very different idea and we are happy to hear other ideas. Like the- so feel free, um, like I said, this is a super complex issue, but we were talking about shame and sexuality and chronic illness, and I don't know that there's like, this is a pretty tight knot to like try to get it through. It is, and it's
1: like a really process, and it's it's very difficult to have to deal with, you know, because there's so much of that. You know, when I think of shame, I just think of layer, layer, layer being built up over time, and so it hits a place where, you know, a lot of people have many different thoughts with it, and so they finally come to a point where they're like, you know, this My emotions, they need to go somewhere. I need to talk to someone about this. And when I can hold a safe space for them to be able to process that, it really does make a world of difference for someone that does have shame, sexuality, issues of concern because of their shame. And most of the time, I find from people that it does come, a lot of it is deep-rooted in childhood. So that's where psychoanalytic work does come in. And we kind of go back a little bit so we can uncover that. But we don't have to stay there in the past. You know, the whole goal is to meet people where they're at and get them to where they want to be. But to do that, there is this piece where we go back and we dig that up a little bit. We find out where it happened and what type of messages that you got. Mm. And how does that deal with you now? What is that? You know, I have a lot of gay male clients that come in that have a lot of shame because they were raised Catholic. And it was like, you don't masturbate and you don't do anything. And you get those messages and that carries with you through adulthood, then all of a sudden you're like, hey, I'm a sexual being. I am a person. And I, and I just speak an example of gay men, but all people, but um, you know, I want to be sexual now, but I'm scared to do that. I don't know what that looks like. I grew up in the Mormon church and now I am gay and I don't know how to deal with that, but hey, I'm curious and I wanna have sex and I wanna be free and I wanna be liberated. So when people come in here and they tell me, hey, you know, Dr. Phillips, I actually had sex for the first time. I'm like, good for you. It's this liberating feeling. And remember, with a life restricted by chronic illness, sex can be very powerful. It can be the one thing that you enjoy with your partner that you feel that is a coping skill. It releases endorphins. It makes you feel good. So keep that in mind when it comes to Sex and chronic illness, and I may have shared this on the last podcast, but you know, yes, when people come into psychotherapy, a problem brings them in. But I think we also have to realize that we have to talk about what are the great things that are going on. You know, what do you like about yourself? Is there something that you find attractive about yourself, sexual about yourself? What have people told you? You know, what's your support system? All those are very important to uncover when someone comes in. So you were asking how do they address that in the beginning stages of therapy. That's the one thing that I do a lot of is really kind of tapping into supports and strengths because I'll tell you something, strengths are always going to carry you through your hard days. So um, I just wanted to speak on that a little bit because that's that's really key when someone comes in with a chronic illness.
0: Now, I love what you said about having um, that sex can be a normalizing thing sometimes for someone with a disability or chronic illness. I know for like myself, it is like the only time where I don't feel like I'm a sick person. However, and there's a big however here, we had to really discuss what was sex and define, like redefine, like what is what will count as sex? Like, what is, what is a sexual act between someone who dislocates by moving? <laughs> so, well, if you use your own so, imaginations, I swear I won't go to, into depth, I mean, ever. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, you, sometimes you have to redefine what intimacy is with a disability.
1: You really do. That's called the new normal of the relationship. You have to sit down and say, what does the intimacy look like now? And one of the, um, when I talk about in chapter eight, <laughs> chapter eight of my book, I talk about reclaiming the sex. And with Mm -hmm. reclaiming sex comes what are the sexual adjustments that we have to do? And I know in our next episode with each other, we're going to get more into sexual sexual pleasure and what you can do to receive pleasure with having a chronic illness. And, you know, because a lot of times when you do get diagnosed with um, different types of illnesses, you really do have to adjust so many things. And hey, sex is one of them.
0: Especially, yeah. it's. Um, and then you also, <laughs> yeah, we'll go over this one, but I just wanted to throw it out there so we remember to talk about it. Um, if you're in a body that's in pain, being present in that body can be a challenging issue. So we'll discuss next time, next month, about like how you can do that. I need help with that. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> so... <sighs> Trying to think about where I was going to go with that. And then my brain just stopped. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> it just popped my shoulder out while we were talking. And it was like, I had a point. There was a good point. Ah, remember it now. Um, so my big resolution this year was not feeling shame about anything that I didn't do on purpose to hurt someone that if I did hurt someone, it was on accident, I can apologize, I can do better, but I will not feel shame about like, what my body does that I can't control, and that was a big thing to come to terms with, and that's been my big thing that I'm working on right now is that shame belongs to those who are taking away healthcare, or you know, just throwing that one out there. Shame belongs to those who are actively trying to harm others, and I don't feel like I, I fit think- in that category.
1: Yeah, I think it's really owning, owning that this is not my fault. This is a part of me and this is what happens and not having to feel shame about that. And I think there's a place that everyone can get to when they start working through um, all the barriers that they have with their illness. And that's Mm. really important. That's (laughs) critical. Um, And like I said earlier, that comes with time that does not happen right away. And it's dealing with it in the moment. And one of the things that we'll probably get into on other podcasts that I would love to talk about are coping strategies with pain. That's going to be a big one, too, because there's so many things that we can get into when it comes to coping um, with pain caused by a chronic illness. And, But, yeah, the whole shame piece, it is coming to terms with it and saying, (laughs) hey— It's not my fault that I dislocate when I move or, you know, when I try to walk when I'm having a flare-up and I go flying across the floor or something. It's it's any of those, right? That's, well, um... I mean
0: going back to that, like one of the big issues that a lot of the people who've talked on the podcast have had with things like IBS is like bathroom issues, like uh urinary issues. Um having horrible explosive diarrhea on a date. Like we've had these discussions all through of like those things, which, you know, can be incredibly hard to date when you're, or have sex when you're worried about what can happen.
1: Um, Yeah. Crohn's disease, IBS, uh, colitis, like all of those. Yes. And coming to terms that, you know, I have a lot of patients that have IBS and they got to find to a point where they're like, Hey, I've always got my change of clothes with me in my bag, no matter where I go and they have to go when they have to go. And it's really, I mean, I've had several people where they just had to work up to where they were able to do that. Why do I have to take a pair of clothes? I shouldn't have to take a change of clothes with me. So they finally got to a place where they were like, you know, it's a part of my, my body now, and I have to do this, and I've gotta take my change of clothes, and I'm not gonna feel, I'm not gonna feel shame by that anymore. So it is breaking down the shame. And that's why it's important to really be able to empathize and validate, too, because that helps people break down shame. So I work on that with couples, too, because there are some times where you don't want to validate someone. You just don't want to. So when they come into a space like this, (laughs) they're kind of forced to and they don't like it. But I tell you what, it really helps in the long run when they can get to this empathizing and they can get to this validation piece. So that's always great, too, um, to be able to do that.
0: So we are getting close to an hour. <laughs> I hate that because I feel like we still more. of um, but we will be back next month, and uh, please go to our. Um, as, I'm sorry. Is there anything else you want to like quickly headline before we stop?
1: Um, just yeah, the the book is going well. The proposal is almost finished. If you want to follow me, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dr. Lee Phillips. Uh, my website is com and on Facebook, I'm also at Dr. Lee Phillips, so just wanted to throw that out there to everyone.
0: No, it's good, and um, when you go to the website, you'll it'll be right at the top. I'll just have pretty little buttons you can push to just, like, follow Dr. Phillips. Uh, <laughs> you can also direct questions over to Dr. Phillips. You're, a lot of you are asking me these questions. I... I'm not and let me underline that a million times an expert in like literally anything like I'm not. I have opinions. I have guesses and questions. You can also like follow Dr. Phillips. You can ask Dr. Phillips and we will try to cover the questions that we think are the best questions to cover on um, an episode. In the future so please feel free to direct either at us don't expect us to necessarily answer but we will read everything and decide on what to answer on a podcast so thank you everyone um thanks for joining us this week again um wow africa south america uh russia um oh my goodness malaysia Philippines. like it's been crazy like thank you so much i always wanted to travel and now i'm sick so i get so voice travel. Really, really grateful you guys are all listening. Thank you so, so very much. Um, please pass this episode on. I, we've done quite a few really awesome episodes that are a lot of good knowledge, but I think this is a really good one to pass on to others. Either someone you want to start a conversation with and you don't know how to start that talk or um, just someone you think might, might be suffering and feeling a little alone right now in this. So please feel free to share this with everyone. Pretty shareable episode until next week be kind be gentle be a badass remember shame belongs to those who are harming others not to someone just making mistakes or being goofy all right thanks
1: everyone